All right, let's turn to First Chronicles chapter 11 tonight. <clears throat> get this tickle out of my throat. <laughs> Comes at the wrong time. That's all right, we're going to get through it. <clears throat> all right, First Chronicles chapter 11. We finally got done with the genealogies. Saul is no longer the king of Israel. And now we're going to get into one of my favorite people in the Bible, King David, for the rest of the book of Chronicles. Well, First Chronicles. I'm excited about that. I, I, I just love the character and person of who King David is. He just, <clears throat> he gives me inspiration because he's fallen and fell so many times, but God always lifted him back up and he was quick to repent as he knew where his strength came from. And that just gives me encouragement uh, whenever I'm able to read and to study uh, these items on the life of David. And, and I'm excited to be able to bring that on Wednesday nights uh, for you guys. So we're going to look here. Saul finally has passed away or died in battle. And uh, King David, if you remember, was anointed way back when he was a kid to be the next king of Israel. <clears throat> it just took a little while for him to get to that point. And we're going to see here in the first three verses of uh, him actually being accepted as king of the nation of Israel and uh, his anointing for that and and what happened. So let's go ahead and start in verse one. It says, then all of Israel came together to David at Hebron, saying, indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Also in time past, even when Saul was king, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord, your God, said to you, you shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over my people of Israel. Therefore, all the elders of Israel came to king, to the king at Hebron, and David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel, according to the word of the Lord by Samuel. So one thing that is noticeably missing uh, from this section is the seven years prior to this, where he was the king, basically, of Judah. Judah was the only one that would accept him. As king, as the word that came, uh, the word that came to Samuel about him being king. Uh, we also know that David was anointed three times before he was actually king over Israel. He was anointed when he was a young boy when Samuel came to him. He was anointed through the uh, tribe of Judah as being the king of Israel. And now we finally see the nation as a whole has finally accepted him as the king of Israel. Now, Saul's son, Ishbosheth, was murdered in Second uh, Samuel 4. He was the one that actually took over after Saul died for a brief moment, but he was n- that was not the plan God had. His plan was to have David as the king and ruler over all of Israel, and we see this coming to pass right here in chapter 11. It is sad, though, that it took the, the other tribes, the other, other 11 tribes, took up King Saul's son as the next king, even though they knew what Samuel had prophesied about who the next king was going to be. And after that option ran out, whenever he was, whenever he was murdered, now they have to fall to David. But isn't it funny (laughs) as believers and non-believers, we often put Jesus on the back burner 
and put what he has for us on a back burner and we'll try every other option we have to fix in our lives before we turn it over to Jesus. Before we want to accept him as our, our savior and our king. We'll try everything else. But when all options fail, we finally turn to Christ. That should be our first option. We're seeking God's will. We're seeking what, what he wants for us in our life. Let's not do it on our own. Let's seek him. He's the one who has that will for you. You know, we, we may have problems at work or problems in our marriage or problems in our family or whatever it may be. The list can go on. But we always try other options before we go to Christ. And he says, seek what? First, the kingdom of God. Then all these things will be added on to us. But we never, we never do that. We never think about that. We always try to do it on our own. But our first choice always should be Christ. And their first choice for the next king should have been David because that's what God had ordained in the word that was spoken through Samuel. But they wanted to try something else. But here we finally see the elders uh, receive David's leadership because he was one of them. He was an Israelite. He did live with the Philistines for a while when he was running from uh, King Saul. But he was an Israelite, and, and the elders finally accepted that fact. Number two, we see that the elders of Israel uh, received David's leadership because he had already displayed that ability. It says there in verse two that also in time past, even when Saul was king, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in in the Lord, brought them into the Lord. So David, through all these battles that he won, basically, for King Saul, was showing that he had the ability to be a leader. And he had the ability to uh, be king of Israel. And lastly, but certainly not least, the elders of Israel received David's leadership because it was evident that it was God's call for him to be the king of Israel. He had a calling by God to be able to do that. And you can see that in verse 3. When he was saying that Israel, according uh, that he became king of Israel, according to the word of the Lord by Samuel. So that was the will of God all along that David would become king of Israel. And also in verse two, in the latter part of it, it it says that you shall shepherd my people, Israel, and be ruler over my people, Israel. He's to be a shepherd and a ruler. What, What a perfect fit for David. David, being a shepherd from a boy, is now going to shepherd the people of Israel and be ruler over them. It's a perfect example of what God wants in leadership. He wants someone that's able to shepherd and lead a flock and care for a flock and nurture a flock. But he also wants a strong ruler and strong, strong leader as a shepherd can be with his sheep. And we see that's perfect with David. In John twenty-one fifteen, what did he tell Peter? He told Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. Then later, Peter would return that exact same thing to the elders. <clears throat> In 1 Peter 5, 2, he turned to the elders and he said, feed the flock. You don't have to be a, a pastor or a minister to feed the flock. You have flocks at your home. I have three sheep at my house I have to minister to. You may have one. Some of y'all may have more than that. We have workplaces that we go to that, that are filled with, with sheep who are, who are maybe saved. And we have those who are definitely lost and need to come back. 
So no matter where we're at, we're, we're, the Lord is asking us to feed his sheep, to shepherd the flock that he has. And it doesn't matter what level of Christianity we're in, we're, we're called to do that. And uh, just like David is called here to shepherd the flock of Israel as well as to rule them, we need to go ahead and shepherd the flocks that God has put in our hands in the sphere of influence that we have. Verse 4 says, And David and all of Israel went to Jerusalem, which is Jabus, where the Jebusites were, uh, the inhabitants of the land. But the inhabitants of Jabus said to David, You shall not come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. <clears throat> now David said, Whoever attacks the Jebusites first shall be chief and captain. And Joab, the son of Zariah, went up first and became chief. Then David dwelt in the stronghold, therefore they called it the city of David. And he built the city around it, uh, from the Milo to the surrounding area. Joab repaired the rest of the city, so David went on, and he became great, and the Lord of hosts was with him. So here we have him moving into the area of Jerusalem, or the city of David, uh, it was in the center of Israel. It was a stronghold. It was hard. It was hard to go up against. It was a very fortified city. <clears throat> and we see David going to take it. At this particular time, it did not belong to anyone in any one of the tribes. And, and uh, we see here the Jebusites were in and there was still people from Canaan still living in the land. When God had told the Israelites, when you go into the promised land to get these people out, we still see a remnant of, remnant of them sitting here and it says in in verse five it says the inhabitants of Jabez said to David you shall not come in here they're mocking king david they're mocking israel saying you'll never make it into this city this is one of the best fortified cities in the nation and you think you're coming in here i don't think so so they're they're mocking him <clears throat> And as the, as the Jebusites mock him, I, it got me thinking about what, what the enemy does to us. They like to mock us a lot. You'll never get that job. You'll never get that settlement. You'll never get your marriage right. You'll never get anything done at work right. You're nothing to nobody. And that's what the enemy will have us believe. And he mocks us over and over and over again. And a lot of us believe that. A lot of us believe that we're nothing and that we will amount to nothing. But that's not what our Savior says. We're, 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 we're heirs with, with Christ. We sit in a high position. But our enemy wants to tell us otherwise. In Philippians 4.13 it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Through Christ who strengthens me. That doesn't mean I can go out and hit a home run, you know, in a major league stadium. I can't, can't do that. But he can equip you to walk through every situation. Everything that the enemy mocks you with and makes fun of you with, he can equip you to be able to walk through that and be victorious in it. And that's exactly what David was doing here, because why? David was a man of faith. He wasn't going to take that answer and that mocking that the Jebusites was giving him. He was going to walk on faith that, hey, God was going to give us this territory. God had already anointed me king, and we're going to take this stronghold, and this is going to become our stronghold. In Hebrews eleven six it says, "Without faith, it is impossible to please God." I'm very, I'm, I'm really convinced that most Christians don't walk by faith. They don't. They, we talked earlier about choosing Christ last in our situations. 
I think a lot of us walk, walk in, in, and make decisions on our own logic without consulting God about it, without trusting his plan. When I got out of the Army in 2011, I had no clue what I was going to do. That happened so quick and so suddenly, I wasn't prepared for it. I had to put my faith in Christ that he, he had a plan and a reason for this to happen. I wasn't ready to get out. I was ready to just five more years and retire with 20 years in the Army, but God had other plans. I just didn't see him at the time. And as I've been back here, I can slowly see why he's brought me back here. But I didn't know it at at the time. I had to step out on faith that, hey, the Lord knows what he's doing here. And we see David was such a man of faith. These Jebusites wanted to mock him, said, you're not going to take this. His faith said otherwise. And our faith says otherwise. Our enemy will try and mock us and tell us we're nothing. But the faith we have in God says otherwise, that we'll have victory in whatever it is we put our hands to, as long as the Lord is with it. Then it goes on to talk about David, says, so David went on and became great, and the Lord of hosts was with him. Why was David great? The last portion, the Lord of hosts was with him. No Lord, no greatness. And we see a lot of people who are not saved seem to be doing great things, but we know where their, their story is going to end. But we know where ours will continue on going into glory, continue on going into greatness, even after we take our last breath here. And we get the ultimate victory in the end. And we see David was great because the Lord of hosts was with him. As, Lord is the Lord, the, as long as the Lord of hosts is with us, we're going to be walking in greatness. Even whenever we're going through that dark valley, We're still walking in greatness because the Lord is with us. And we know what the end game is. We know what happens whenever our time is up and we go before him. We know the victory is there. And David knew this. And so David went through uh, this process. And let me tell you something. To get to greatness, we all know it's a process. If any of us lived any length of life, which we all have for for a while, we know that there's a process that, that we go through. He's constantly refining us, constantly building us up into what his, his idea of what perfection is, to be like him. And we see this here. Faith is built through the process. He didn't become great overnight. We're not going to become great or perfected overnight. Now, our position in heaven may be perfected already, but we're constantly getting sanctified here on earth as we make our journey towards our Savior. In verse 10, it says, Now these were the heads of the mighty men who David, uh, who David had, who strengthened themselves with him in the kingdom, with all of Israel, to make him king according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. So here we're going to start talking about the mighty men of David. The men of renown. They, they did great things with David, especially when they were on the run from Saul. And uh, we look at this. A lot of those who were with David had mighty men who followed them. These men didn't necessarily start off as mighty men. Many of them were uh, distressed. They were in debt. They were discontent. They were, they were deserters from Saul. And, and they were a bunch of ragtag crew. They were more of a motley crew that came together with David uh, to, to win these battles that he had as he went against Saul. And I like this because we're all a bunch of ragtag renegades. That's who we are. We're all a bunch of rebels. But you know what? The Savior came down and saved us. We have troubles. We have problems. 
You know? But guess what? Our leader, the one that we follow, just like these, these mighty men follow David, our, the one we follow, our leader is perfect. And the more we hang around our leader and the more that we learn from our leader, the more we become perfect. So let's, let's stay around Jesus. Let's, let's stay around him and become his mighty men and his mighty women. We can be called mighty men and women of God. And that's what we need to be called. And that's what we see here. These guys were with David who walked with the Lord. And they followed him. Verse 11, it says, And this is the number of the mighty men who David had. Jeshoabim, the son of Hekmanite, chief of the captains, he had lifted up his spear against, hundred, uh, against 300 killed by him, him at once. After them was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Ahohite, who was one of the three mighty men. He was with David at Pastamim. Now there the Philistines were gathered for battle, and there was a place of ground full of barley, so the people fled from the Philistines. But they stationed themselves in the middle of that field, defended it, and killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. Now I'm looking at some of these mighty men that they're talking about here. And he talks about this, uh, this first one in verse 11. Uh, Jashubim. And he lifted up his spear to kill the enemy. And when I think about lifting up his spear, lifting up his weapon, I'm thinking about the we- what weapons do we have at our disposal with the Lord to, to, to defeat our enemies. And one of them is prayer. That is, that is a powerful One of the most powerful weapons we have in our arsenal that the Lord has given us to go to war spiritually. And and as I was thinking, that's 1 Timothy 2.8 says, I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Some of y'all may say, well, my hands are tired. I continuously lift them up. They're starting to get tired now. I've been praying for this situation or this person or this, you name it, for months, years. And nothing seems to be happening. I'm telling you today, don't give up. Keep praying. Keep putting that weapon up that that God has given us. I think about Moses whenever they were in battle and Aaron and her had to come. and, And every time Moses lifted his hands, the Israelites would win the battle. His hands would start to fall. They would start to fall back and the battle was starting to, they were starting to lose the battle. But Aaron and Hur would come and pick up the hands for Moses because they noticed that the, that the, the victory was coming when his hands were raised. When he lifted those hands up, the victory was coming. So they helped. And I advise every one of you to find someone to be that Aaron or the, that Hur, or you be the Aaron or Hur for the people to help lift others up in prayer. To help lift their, their weapons up. To help them in that warfare. Because we can't do it alone. we got to do it together. Some of the guys here in the church. We have a little text group that we've been having for quite a few years. And we'll, we'll send prayers to each other. Just to encourage each other. Just to say, hey, I'm having a problem with this. Can y'all pray? And after that, the worries kind of go away. Because I know they're going to pray for me. You know, and if someone else may send a prayer, yeah, we're going to pray for you. And we know that that prayer is happening, that that warfare is being taken on in the spiritual realm, and we're not alone in it. 
we have our, what we like to call in the army, our battle buddies with us. And we're stepping into that war together. And it feels good to be back like that. So if you want to be a mighty man or a woman of God, lift up your weapons of war. Lift up your hands in prayer to the Lord because he wants that. He wants to fight those battles for you. And then we see Eliezer. Eliezer. It says, after him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, the Ahohite, who was one of the three mighty men. Now, in 2 Samuel 23.10, it said that he led a singular battle for, uh, for uh, numerous foes, such that when he went to grab his, when he was going to the battle, he would grab his sword, and his, sword, his hand was stuck to the sword. It was like he was gripping so tight on that sword that, that he couldn't let go. And if we want to be mighty men or women of God, our hands must be tight on the sword of the word of God. We got to hold on tight to this sword. There's another weapon in our arsenal in warfare is this word of God. And we need to hold on tight to that sword as we're going into battle. In verse 15, it goes on. It says, now three of the 30 chief men went down to the rock to David into the cave of Adelang and the army of the Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was, uh, David was then in the stronghold and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David said with longing, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So the three broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem, that was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, David would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. And he said, For be it from me, O my God, that I would do this. Shall I drink the blood of these men who have put their lives in jeopardy? For at the risk of their lives they brought, they brought it. Therefore, he would not drink it. These things were done by the three mighty men. So we see David reminiscing about his childhood, probably drinking from this well and how great that water must have tasted. How many of us in in our Christian life look back and say, man, things were so great when I was was walking for the Lord back then. And we dwell on that path. And David was I don't think David necessarily wanted them to go get water. He was just just in longing saying, oh, man, I missed that water from Bethlehem. And these three men heard it and took off to go get it for David. In the midst of a battle, in the midst of the Philistines camp to go just get him some water. But we can't dwell on our past. We can't we can't just sit on our past glories because there's so much more that Christ has before us to to do. And F.B. Meyer said sometimes longing like like his uh, sometimes longings like his take possession of us. We desire to drink again the waters of comparative innocence of childlike trust and joy. To drink again of the fountain of human love, to have the bright, fresh rapture in God and nature and home. But it is a mistake to look back. Here and now with us, Jesus is waiting to open the well of living water, which springs up to eternal life, of which, if we drink, we will never thirst. Instead, we should look to the Lord right now, with confidence in the future he has for us. There's so much more he has for us in the future, and it's probably going to be better than what we had in the past. And we know it's going to be better. 
in the future than it will be in the past. But sometimes our longing and our thinking, we, we, we get caught on the, the yesteryears. And you know what? There's, there's a brighter and better future for us. So we just need to keep moving on. And then it says that they finally got the water, brought it back to David. Then he poured it out. And let me tell you something. If I'm going through the Philistine camp and I'm going to get you some water that you were longing for and I bring it back to you and you pour it out. We're going to have some problems. I just sacrificed my life over here trying to get you water and you're just going to pour it out. But David said that he wasn't worthy to drink it because of all the sacrifice that was given. So David took this that was most precious to him that he longed for, that he remembered from his youth, he took it and offered it to the Lord. And some might think this is a waste. Do you remember what Judah said whenever the oil was broken to anoint the Lord? And Judah said, well, we can use that. Why are we doing this? We can use that money to get it and give to the poor. This is a waste of this, this oil that is being uh, put on you. But Christ said, you know what? This woman's going to be remembered for all history of what she did here today. Because whatever is done for the Lord, no matter how big or how small, is never wasted. No, no matter how idiotic it may seem at the time, it's not wasted. If you're doing what you're doing for the Lord and you're sacrificing things because it's for the Lord, that sacrifice will not go unnoticed. That thing that you do for the Lord will not go without reward at some point in time. And God sees it all. From the smallest things that we sacrifice to the biggest. God sees it, and it does not go wasted. So just remember that, that there's nothing wasted whenever it's done for the Lord, and the Lord honors that. In verse 20, it says, Abshai, the brother of Joab, with its, uh, Joab was a chief of another three. He had lifted up his spear against uh, 300 men, killed them, and won a name among these three. Of the three, he was more honorable than the other two men. Therefore, he became their captain. However, he did not attain to the first three. Benaiah was the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man from uh, Kabzil, who had done many deeds. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He also had gone down and killed the lion in the midst of the pit on a snowy day. And he killed an Egyptian, a man of great height, five cubits, that's like seven and a half feet, in the, in, uh, in the Egyptian's hand. There, uh, there was a spear like a weaver's beam, and he went down to him with, with a staff, wrestled the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and killed him with his own spear. These things uh, Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, did. And won a name among three mighty men. Indeed, he was more honorable than the thirty, but he did not attain to the first three, and David appointed him over his guards. He was a pretty bad dude. He was beating up a bunch of people over there. And I think about this, he talks about lion like heroes of Moab that he, he defeated, and then actually went into Caving and, and defeat an actual lion as well. First Peter five eight tells us that a lion refers to Satan himself, right? And it says that the lion walks around the earth, seeing who he can devour. 
So often when we hear a lion, is referred to as Satan or the enemy. And guess what? Before we were ever battled the lion himself, Satan, we're going to have other battles in our life that are like lions. We just talked about earlier about about having to go through all these different tribulations to become great and that God takes us through things. We're going to have lion-like battles that, that, that may tempt us. We may have lion-like battles that we may face financially. We may have lion-like battles we face relationally. But we have a Savior that's backing us that will give us victory, will lead us in the direction he'll have us go. So whenever you do face these lion-like battles... Don't be surprised when they come. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Because they're going to come at some point in our lives. And we're going to have to battle them and we're going to have to get over that hump. And we get, get over that hump with who? With Christ. He says, I can do all things who, through Christ who gives me strength. It's through Christ that we can defeat these lion-like characters. These lion-like battles. It's through Christ that we can defeat the enemy. We cannot do it on our own. Though we try, we often fail. And just looking at these different different things about how we become great, how these how these mighty men performed in battle, it all started with some kind of training. And there's a saying also in the army that says, train like you fight. You gotta train the same way that you're gonna go to battle. And how do we fight as Christians? We talked about it earlier. Raising our hands to prayer. Holding on tight to the word of God. That's our weapons. And that's what we need to daily be training in. Daily praying. Daily training ourselves in the word. Getting this word in us. To when those battles do come. We can easily use this sword against our enemies. We have access to the, to the creator of the universe. When do we, do we use it? A lot of times we forget to use it. All the weapons we need for the spiritual warfare is at our hands. But we forget to use it sometimes. That's why we have to be trained up in this every day. And it can't be something that can just be set aside. It's not like we can set our weapons to the side and it gets rusty and it gets old and we can't use it anymore. But if we use it every day and we train with it every day, that weapon in our bodies will be ready for the battle to come. Amen. And that's a lot of what these mighty men would do. They would train probably constantly with David while they were out out in the caves and out on the run from Saul. They probably constantly trained and got their bodies right for battle. They got their weapons prepared, sharpened their swords, mended their, their shields or whatever they had. They prepared themselves for the battle to come. And with God also, the, 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 the number one general leading it, they were going to get the victory. And we see that they did get the victory many, many times. In verses 26 through 47, this names more of the mighty men of God. These men, uh, maybe some of them were, were seen elsewhere in the Bible. Some of them maybe not. But these were other mighty men that David had. And it says, it is easier. Yeah, give me a second. It is easier for heaven and earth to pass then one tittle of the law to fail. That's in Luke sixteen seventeen. God's word will never pass away. These men's names will never pass away. They're written in his book. 
they're honored by God because of the deeds that they did in helping David and fighting alongside David. And they were mighty men of God. Their names will never pass away. Many great leaders that we have in our nation right now and, and in our world in the past, their names will pass away. Their names will be forgotten. Heck, my name will probably never be in a history book. It'll probably be forgotten 100, 120 years from now. They won't know who I am. But let me tell you who knows who I am. Jesus knows who I am. Jesus knows who each and every one of you are. It says you're, it, I, something I wrote here it says your name most likely will not be recorded in the history book. But if it is recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life, it is written with an indelible ink of Jesus, his blood. Our names are written in blood in the Lamb Book of Life and will be remembered forever by him. That's all that really matters. I don't care if anybody remembers me 100 years from now. But if my Savior remembers me in that day when I go before him, that's what matters. That's what matters. Amen? All right. Father, we uh, thank you for this uh, night. Thank you for your word, Lord, and that we are definitely in a battle. We are definitely in a spiritual battle here, Lord. We, we see the headlines, and we just know the enemies at work, Lord. But let us sharpen our skills. Let us... Let us Become proficient with our weapons, Lord, in prayer and in your word, Father, to be able to defeat the enemy, Lord. That we can do all things, Lord, through you, Father. And it only comes through you, not through our own strength, Lord. Let us just remember that it is always through you that we can do all things and that the battle is won and victory has come because of you, Father. Nothing that we can do physically, Lord, but everything comes from you. Uh, We thank you for this word. We thank you for this time tonight. We ask for your blessing over the people here and those who were not able to make it. We ask for your traveling mercies, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.